0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: When the apostles were first born again of the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit being restored to them as was described in Acts chapter 2, they experienced a transition in growth as they matured in their faith. An example of this is given in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Peter and John went to the temple. Now what were they doing at the temple? They went to the temple to pray. That's more than likely what they were doing there. They were going there for the purpose of praying, for the purpose of having prayer with others there in the temple. This would be an expected thing for them to do, considering that they just had a renewed experience with the Lord their God, revitalizing them, encouraging them, and inspiring them to live a life of holiness and devotion to the Mosaic Law. They had just experienced salvation through the restoration of the Holy Spirit, as was described in Acts chapter 2, and so with renewed enthusiasm, they would be going to the temple to pray to the Lord their God. Now, let me take a moment to describe what they were doing in a modern context. What would you think if I told you that the other day I went to the synagogue to pray? I went to the local synagogue for the purpose of praying with the people who are there to pray to the Lord our God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I went there for the purpose of prayer at the appointed time of prayer, Obviously, if I'm going there at the time of prayer, then I'm going there to pray. I'm not going there for the purpose of interrupting or disturbing the prayer of others. I'm not going to go there to start a disturbance. I'm going there for the purpose of prayer. That's why I would be going there at a specific appointed time. But what would you think if I told you that I did that? What would you be thinking about me as a believer in Christ Jesus? What would you be thinking if I told you that I went to a synagogue? Well, if you're a relatively mature Christian, you should be asking, why am I going there? What is the reason for me going to the synagogue? Am I going there for the purpose of telling people that Jesus is the Messiah? And I would say, well, of course not. I'm going there to participate in the services that the people are going to be engaged with at the appointed time when people are assembling together. I'm not going there for the purpose of evangelism. I'm going there for the purpose of being a part of the community. Now, when I say that, you should be thinking, well, then why am I going there at all? If I'm not going there for the purpose of telling them about the Lord Jesus, then what I'm really doing is I'm going there for the purpose of praying with a handful of people who are obviously lost and they are going to go to hell and burn in hell for all eternity because they reject the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. That's what the Lord Jesus said. He said that if you do not believe in me, you will go to hell. You either believe the Lord Jesus or you do not believe the Lord Jesus, and you have the option to choose if you want to believe what the Lord Jesus said or reject what the Lord Jesus said. I'm only communicating to you what he had to say about this specific subject. If I would be going to the synagogue to participate in a religious worship service with people who reject the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, they have made a decision to reject the Lord Jesus as their Messiah, they will not believe in him as the Messiah, if I am going to go participate with them, then what does that really say about me? What does that say about my faith? What does that say about my convictions? Does this mean that I don't really believe what the Lord Jesus said myself? Perhaps I myself do not really believe the Lord Jesus. I don't have such strong convictions with regards to that subject, and I believe that I can have a spiritual connectivity with the people there in the synagogue where we can experience a time of fellowship and camaraderie where we are worshiping the same God. But in reality, we are not worshiping the same God, and that's the point. We are not really worshiping the same God In the synagogue, the people who are worshiping God there are worshiping a God who I do not believe in, just as they would say that I worship a God that they do not believe in. I sincerely believe that Jesus is God. He was God manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us. I sincerely believe that, and they do not believe that. And so when we are praying, who are we really praying to? We may use a common vocabulary in the sense of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, But when it comes to the reality, the physical, visible, and audible manifestation of our God as Christ Jesus, when it comes to that, then they reject Christ Jesus, I accept Christ Jesus, and my daily life is a relationship with Christ Jesus, and their daily life is not a relationship with Christ Jesus. And so, who do we really have a relationship with? These are important issues that really address what do we really believe and what are our convictions with regards to what we really believe. And so the natural response that I would expect to hear from a mature believer if I was to tell them that I had just gone to the synagogue to pray would be for them to look at me and think that I am a relatively immature believer, that I have not yet reached the transition point of recognizing and acknowledging that I truly do believe in a different Messiah who has been sent and who has provided us with salvation, I effectively believe in a different God a God who has provided us with salvation, whereas my fellow Jews believe that their God is going to provide them with salvation because they were born as a child of Abraham. That's what most Jews today believe, just as they believe that back in the time of Christ Jesus. The same beliefs that were held to back then are similar beliefs that are held to today within the synagogues. And so I would expect to be recognized as a relatively immature believer who has not really developed the conviction, a deep understanding, of who the Messiah really is as he participates in my daily life. If that's how I would be perceived, then why would you think of the apostles in any different way as described here in Acts chapter 3? If Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer, then they went there for the purpose of praying. That's why they would go there, and it would be the natural thing for them to do if they were new believers as myself. I continued to participate in the synagogue for several years after I acknowledged that Christ Jesus is the Messiah. I still continued to participate in the synagogue because I didn't realize the full implications of what Christ Jesus had done for me. And considering that it took me several years to mature in my faith, I would not be surprised to see Peter and John going to the temple because they had just recently been born again of the Spirit. They also would still be maturing in their faith. That's what I see here in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, is that they are going to the temple at the hour of prayer, Because that would be the most natural thing for them to do, given the scope of their understanding of the gospel at this point in their maturity, in their relationship with Christ Jesus. It is the most natural thing for them to do. Consider yourself in a very similar circumstance. When the temple is reconstructed in Jerusalem and the Levitical priesthood reestablished their authority in Israel and they reestablish the sacrificial system there at the temple to include the times of prayer during the day, would you as a Christian consider going to the temple to pray with those who are in the temple who also reject Christ Jesus as the Messiah? Well, as an immature believer, I can see that you might do that. But as a mature believer, I would wonder why you would do that. Why would you go to participate in a religious ceremony in a setting with people who reject your Messiah? Why would you do that? Well, as an immature believer, you could, because if you recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, and you don't quite understand the implications of that, then the most natural thing for you to do, especially if you're a devoted Jew, is to continue to live a life under the Mosaic Law. Perhaps with renewed enthusiasm, that was what I experienced, but regardless of the degree of enthusiasm, that's what we usually do. That's what we usually commit ourselves to. We normally commit ourselves to a life of holiness and repentance, and that can only be defined by a system of law. What better law to choose than the very law of God that was given through Moses for the purpose of demonstrating to us the very character and holiness of our God? That would be a standard that we could aspire to try to achieve, only to discover, of course, that again, we certainly cannot meet that standard and truly need to depend on the grace of God in our lives, not to make up for when we fall short, but truly 100% to the extent where our sins are no longer held against us because of the forgiveness of sins. That's how all of this ties together, is that Christ Jesus died for all of our sins, so he has set us free from the law because there is no penalty that can be held against us anymore. We are alive in Christ Jesus and effectively dead to the law. That is a transition that we all experience at some point in our maturity in the faith. However, in general, this does not happen right away. This is something that we struggle with as we mature and discover the implications of the forgiveness that Christ Jesus has given to us. But again, as I was describing earlier, the apostles did not quite understand the full implications of what Christ Jesus had done for them right away. It did take some time, especially because it was in Acts chapter 15 when they started to question whether or not the Gentiles should be living in obedience to the Mosaic law. They didn't question whether or not they should be living in obedience to the Mosaic law. It was assumed that they should. And so we shouldn't expect the apostles to believe anything otherwise in Acts chapter 3. Verses Acts chapter 15. It was in Acts chapter 15 that they were officially confronted with the question and decided to meet together to discuss it. But let's continue on in Acts chapter 3 verse 2 and see what happens when they arrive at the temple. In Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, it says, "...and a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful." In order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when they saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. This is a man who had been lame throughout his entire life, and he was there at the gate of the temple begging for alms most every day of his life. How many times do you suppose the Lord Jesus walked past this man as he was going into the temple? We certainly don't know, but we do know that Christ Jesus was in the temple at least three times a year. He was there in Jerusalem three times a year. Most likely then he was in the temple. He was there at least three times a year. And so how often would this man be able to approach the Lord Jesus and request a healing? But he never did. For several years, the Lord Jesus would go into Jerusalem and heal those who had need, especially during his triumphal entry when he arrived in Jerusalem to be crucified that very Passover. When he arrived in town, there was no question that he was there, and we know that he healed people there in the temple. Why was it that this man was not healed? Why did the Lord Jesus not heal this man? It could be that this man never really wanted to be healed, because if he really wanted to be healed, he could have gone to where Christ Jesus was located, and he could have asked him. Now, we don't know if that actually happened, and perhaps the Lord Jesus said no. We don't know that. We don't have enough information to know for sure. But I find it very interesting that here we have a man who was before the temple every day, and for some reason he was not healed of his infirmity when the Lord Jesus was conducting his ministry. Instead, at this time, Peter takes him by the hand, seizes his hand, in effect, and pulls him up to his feet. Now, this can give you a little bit more of an indication as to why this man may perhaps had not been healed when the Lord Jesus was conducting his ministry. It could be that perhaps this man did not want to be healed. That is a possibility. If you consider the life that he was experiencing, he was able to beg for money at the temple. His life was about sitting down at the gate of the temple, asking money from people who walked by. That was what his life was about. If he was not lame, if he had the ability to work, what kind of work would he do? Would he be a farmer? Would he be a stonecutter? Would he be a shepherd? What kind of work do you suppose he might have done? Well, we don't know what kind of work he may have had an interest in, But regardless of what kind of work he may have had an interest in, he was apparently making a living begging for alms. Now, we don't know how much he was earning. We have no way for accounting for that. But if he was making enough, if he was earning enough money, that it was worthwhile for him to remain in his condition instead of be healed and have to work harder, perhaps, for the same amount of money that he was receiving by begging for alms. If that was the case, then perhaps it may not have been in his interest to be healed. Here, Peter heals him by just simply seizing his hand, and Peter pulls him to his feet. He doesn't ask him if he wants to be healed. He doesn't ask the man to give him his hand. He just simply takes his hand, brings him to his feet, and heals him. When the man is healed, he obviously is very excited about it, but we don't really know for sure whether or not he really wanted to be healed. We don't know that. I would suggest that based on the history of the ministry of Christ Jesus, during the prior three years before this, and also the fact that Peter had to seize his hand and pull him to his feet, it's possible that this man did not really want to be healed, but wanted to continue to make a living the way that he was making a living, and that he was perhaps quite content with what he had. But then, when Peter pulled him to his feet and he was healed, he was very, very excited, He did not know what he was truly missing. He did not know what it was like to walk about, to leap about. He did not know what that would be like. Now he knows, and now he can experience it to the fullness. And I suspect that if someone was to ask him, would you rather go back and be lame again, he probably would say, no chance whatsoever, not on your life. I'm going to enjoy the freedom that I have in being able to walk about on my own, in being able to jump about on my own. I'm going to enjoy that, even if it means that I now have to learn a trade and begin to work in order to make a living perhaps not as good of a living as I was making when I was begging, but it will be a living nonetheless, and I will enjoy it. That would be the kind of attitude that he would then express if I am correct in my assumptions about the attitude of the man who was lame and who was begging for alms at the temple when Peter and John arrived there at the temple. Again, in Acts chapter 3, verse 9, it says, "...and all the people saw him walking and praising God." And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 10, it says, And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Continuing on in verse 11, And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or why do you gaze at us, as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? And then he began to describe the gospel in the context of what Christ Jesus came to do and the fact that the people did not recognize the Messiah when he came. They disowned him and decided to call for his crucifixion. And then in verse 17, this is Acts chapter 3, verse 17, Peter says, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord." and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. Peter is being very aggressive about proclaiming the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. No question about it. There was a dramatic change in Peter at this moment in his life. Before this moment in his life, he was going to the temple for the purpose of praying, for the purpose of participating in the culture and in the society in the community of the Jewish people at the temple. He was a part of the community, an active participant. There was no reason for him to tell people about Christ Jesus, apparently, because while he may have believed the gospel, he recognized that there were a lot of people who did not believe in Christ Jesus. Why should he bother talking with them about the Lord Jesus? He's not there to do that. He went there for the purpose of praying. But here there was a major transition in the life of Peter and John a major transition in their maturity in Christ Jesus, which occurred when the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter in the deepest part of his being, spoke to him in a way that Peter could understand that the Lord his God was going to heal this man through Peter. And with great confidence in believing the testimony and the word that was given to him by the Holy Spirit and dwelling within him, he reached and grabbed the man's hand and pulled him to his feet. That was a moment when he was led by the Holy Spirit and dwelling within him to perform a work of God that God would do within and through Peter in order to testify that Christ Jesus is truly the Messiah. The Lord God worked within Peter at that moment for the purpose of reaching out to the people there in the temple so that they would know that Jesus truly is the Messiah. It was a major transition in the life of Peter, that Peter would be directed by the Holy Spirit, he would respond to the direction of the Holy Spirit, a miracle would occur to testify of the truth of what Peter would convey to them, he would convey that message to the people, and the people would receive that message and choose whether or not to believe the message that Peter was giving to them. That was what was taking place. Did everyone believe the message that Peter gave? Certainly not. When you continue to read past Acts chapter 3 to Acts chapter 4, we see in Acts chapter 4 verse 1 that some of the priests and the guard came upon them. This is given in Acts chapter 4 verse 1 where it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard And the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. They would put them in jail until the next day, because they would not hold any trials at night. This was an important law of the Sanhedrin. And so this was their response to what Peter and John did. Peter and John came to the temple to pray, and through the intervention of the Holy Spirit of God, a miraculous healing occurred, and Peter testified as to who performed the miracle. It was Christ Jesus who did the miracle within and through them. And the response of the authorities was to just simply capture them and throw them into a jail cell. That was how they responded to the miracle that had occurred. Some people most certainly believed in Christ Jesus as a result of what had happened, but there were other people who rejected what took place and did not believe in Christ Jesus even though this miracle occurred. But the most important thing that I want you to see here in Acts chapter 3 is that Peter experiences a major transition in his maturity in Christ Jesus. Beforehand, he would just go to the temple to pray. But now, through the direction of the Holy Spirit indwelling within him, he responded to what the Holy Spirit directed him to do, and a miracle took place to the extent where Peter was then able to testify of the truth of the living God, a God who is actively participating in our lives and takes time and moments in order to intervene in our lives for the purpose of showing us who he is. This was a major moment in the life of Peter, a transition that we all experience to one degree or another. We may not be involved in a miracle such as this, but the true miracle that we can personally experience is the miracle of the Holy Spirit directing us in some aspect in our daily life as we are engaging the world that is before us, directing us and guiding us, and when we respond to Him, a miracle has just happened. We have just experienced a personal moment with our God, a personal moment when our God intervenes in our life and participates in our life for the purpose of using us in a way so that others can come to know who He is. We will all experience a similar event as the Apostle Peter experienced in his life, At some point in our life in Christ Jesus, we will be confronted with a circumstance. We will be exposed to a situation, a truth of the living God, a truth of the scriptures, an increase in understanding will be presented to us. There will be a moment in our maturity in the faith where we finally make a pivotal decision to truly believe and trust in Christ Jesus. Not just for our own salvation, but to the extent that we can now feel confident in conveying what has been revealed to us to others. Just as Peter experienced this moment when he would go to the temple beforehand and he was not confident in telling other people about the Lord Jesus, after this event in his life he was confident in telling others about the Lord Jesus in a hostile environment such as the temple. Beforehand, he certainly testified of the Lord, but that was outside of the religious confines of the temple and outside of the circumstances where he would certainly be putting his own life at risk to one degree or another. So you also will find yourself in circumstances. You will find yourself in situations where it will actually cost you something to share the truth of God to someone else. You may find yourself at risk of losing a job, or you may find yourself at risk of losing a relationship with someone who is close to you. You may risk losing something. Depending on the country you are in or the political environment, you may find yourself in jail because you tell somebody something that you sincerely believe, but the government has determined that it is inappropriate for you to say such things to other people. This is what Peter was confronted with, and we all will experience similar confrontations where it will actually cost us something to convey the truth that has been revealed to us. But when you truly believe that the Lord your God reveals something to you, or encourages you or directs you to perform a work that he has given for you to do... When you convey the truth that the Lord Jesus has revealed to you in the core of your being and apply that to someone's life where they are experiencing pain and suffering in the deepest part of their heart and you share a truth that not only sets them free but provides them with a miraculous healing in the very core of their spirit, these are moments in our life when we truly encounter the living God and when this transition occurs, there is no turning back for those who are the children of God. You will forever be encouraged and inspired knowing that your God is actively participating in your life.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net.
1: i